All right. Good morning. Um, before we before we do our kids' sermon, I'm going to read the passage. We're going to be reading Ephesians 4, and we're going to be in verses 17 through 32. Uh, they should be on the slides behind me. Um, again, that's Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 17 through 32. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness." Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may, be able, he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you." Uh, all right, kids, where are you guys at this morning? All right, raise your hands up. All right, put your hands down. Okay, my first question for you is how many of you like to play video games? Raise your hands. All right, put your hands down. All right, I'm going to need to have some examples of your favorite games. What do you got, Evie? a lot to choose from. What's your, what's your favorite one? Mickey's World 2. Nolan? What? Gang Beast. Gang Beast is awesome. Micah? Castle Crashers? Also a great one. What do you got? Allie? Roblox. Roblox. All right. Marshall? Zelda Breath, Zelda Breath of the Wild. Lucy? Animal Crossing. Eleanor? All right. Ben? Pokemon United. Was that what that was? Okay. Emmett, what do you got? Casual Crashers. William? Tears of the Kingdom. Philly? Right, you want Kate to go first? Minecraft Dungeons. Also a great game. Kate? Roblox? All right, almost done. 
Allie? Callie. Roblox, Roblox and Minecraft? Roblox. All right, Aria? Sonic the Hedgehog? Okay. All right. What about you, Rainy? Minecraft. Desmond? Inside? Okay. All right. So, you may not know this, but some of those games that you guys told me were your favorite games were a specific kind of game called an RPG. Who knows what RPG stands for? Levi? Role-playing game. That's a game where you start at the beginning with a character, and as you go through the game, your character gets better. They get new powers, they get new abilities, they get new gear. Some RPGs have this game mode that's called New Game Plus. Does anybody know what New Game Plus is? All right, New Game Plus is when you get to start the game over, but when you start the game over, you don't start the game like you started it the first time. Instead, you start the game over with all those skills and abilities and powers that you gained the first time in the game. Does that sound easier or harder than the first time? Easier, right? You walk into the game and you're just overpowered and then you can just like wipe the floor with all of your enemies. Like it's, it's awesome, it's a lot of fun. Um, like you just, you feel like you're like the best character ever and can just completely demolish everyone. The reason why we're talking about this is because something that we're going to see in our passage today is that, that that new game plus mode is a lot like the Christian life because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us because he puts his spirit in us. When Jesus changes us, when he makes us a new creation, we become like that character that second time around through that game, where things are, are easier because we've got these skills and abilities that we didn't have the first time around. And so kids, we're going to talk about that more with your parents later, and I would encourage you to go home and ask your parents about what they learned about the good news of what Jesus has done for us and how that helps us live a life where we pursue obedience and pursue Jesus uh, in light of what he's done for us. And so let's pray and we'll get in our passage together this morning. Jesus, we thank you that you came down here in obedience to your Father, that you lived and, and, and died and rose again in our place as our substitute so that you could, you could bring us out of our life of slavery to sin. You could free us from death and free us from the, the clutches of the devil so that we could have life in you. And so we pray this morning as we, as we talk about about how we as your people are, are called to, to pursue holiness, to, to walk in obedience, to live a different kind of life, that you would use your spirit to help us see in your word the, the power that you've already put within us so that we can do that with you and because of you. And so we pray this morning that, that you would use your spirit to, to work in us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, 
this passage that we're about to get into, along with the, the passage from Colossians that we're also going to talk about, that are kind of like two, two sides of the same coin, is, is one of my like, all-time favorite passages in the New Testament. And the reason why I, I love this passage so much is because it is such a, a clear expression of Paul's theology about what he believes about how we live the Christian life, and we, as, as readers of the Bible, often get it wrong. So this is what I mean. What we're going to see in this passage is something that I think is true throughout the New Testament, and that is that the, the gospel declarations, right, the, the good news proclamations of who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and, and what that means for us. Those things always come before the gospel obligations, which would be what we need to do because of those things. A, a simpler way to say that would be that the, the indicatives, the statements about the gospel always come before the commands, what we got to do about the gospel. Now, Saying that, I say that like that's that's the way it works. Like I'm sure and I know there are places in which the command comes before the good news statement in the sentence. I don't mean grammatically, I mean logically. And so, for example, next week we're gonna be in Ephesians 5. In the beginning of Ephesians 5, Paul says, Therefore, be imitators of God. That's a command. We are supposed to imitate God. That comes first in the sentence for emphasis. But the thing he says next is, as beloved children. That comes second, but what Paul is saying is he's saying that because we are beloved children of God, we can be imitators of him, right? The, the good news declaration, we are children of God, it comes before the command. Like, because of what he's done for us, we can be imitators of him. And so we've, we've seen this idea on, on a large scale as we've gone through the book of Ephesians, right? Pretty much most of what we've seen thus far, like probably 95% of it has been Paul telling us the good news of Jesus. He's been saying, this is who he is. This is what he's done for you. This is what it means for you. And only in a couple places up to this point has he been like, this is what you need to do. And most of those places have been what you need to do is remember all the stuff I've just told you. But here, he's, he's turning the corner. He's moving on from, from proclaiming those things to telling us what we have to do about it. And today, in our passage, we're going to see this idea on a smaller scale. As we see Paul talk about what Jesus has done, and then he's going to tell us to do things because of it. But here's the main thing. The goal for us today is not to, to walk away from this passage with a better understanding of Paul's theology. Like, that's a good thing, and we want that. But the goal is that understanding Paul's theology would, would motivate us and push us, and we would see in the good news of the gospel this, this invitation to walk in a life of obedience. Right? That's what we want. We want to be drawn more closely to Jesus because of his word. And so that's the goal for us this morning. That's why I care about this passage. That's why I'm excited to talk to you about it. It's because I believe and I know personally that that's what it does for me. Right? I am wholeheartedly convinced that a right understanding of this point, of this passage, will motivate us 
and empower us in our pursuit of Jesus. So let's look at what Paul says. He, he kicks things off in the passage by emphasizing his, his authority uh, as, uh, you know, from the Lord, and then he gives the first command. So if you guys could go back on the slides to verse 17, right? He gives, gives this command. He says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. That's the command. Don't walk as the Gentiles do. Then he's going to tell us about how the Gentiles walk. They walk in the futility of their minds. They're, they're darkened in their understanding. Like uh, they, 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 just, they don't know what they don't know. They're alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance and because their hearts are hard. So in their, their futile minds, in their darkened understanding, in their alienation from God, in their hard hearts, they've become callous. They've given themselves up, Paul says, to, to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of evil. So they're, they're broken and they're, they're wicked and twisted because of it. And they're, they're greedy about being that way. And Paul says to the, to the Ephesians, don't walk like them. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And this, this command that Paul gives them, it gives us some, some important information about the people to whom the command was given. It says no longer. What that means is that means the Ephesians used to walk as the Gentiles do, and Paul is saying, don't do that anymore. The reason why the Ephesians used to walk as the Gentiles do is because the Ephesians are Gentiles, right? It's, it's, not, it's not surprising. It's not, it's not news. They used to live like that because that's who they are. But Paul says, don't do that anymore. Why shouldn't they do that anymore? Why must they no longer walk as the Gentiles do? Because of verse 20. It says, but... And this is, this is the contrast. This is the contrast to how the Gentiles walk. But, he says, that is not the way you learned Christ. They used to be like the Ephesians. They used to be ignorant. They used to be darkened in their understanding. They used to be alienated from God. They used to, be, to, to struggle with all these things. But, but something changed for the Ephesians. That's why Paul is saying you must no longer live like this. You must no longer walk like that because something changed. Something that changed is that they learned Christ. And in verse 21, Paul explains what it means to have learned Christ. He says, this is true of you. Assuming that you've heard about him and you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So the Ephesians used to live like the Gentiles did, but then they, they heard about Jesus. They were, they were taught in Jesus. They learned Christ. And so the question we should have is, what is it that they learned? Like, what were they taught? What, what changed about them? Well, Paul tells us, says they learned three things. They learned, number one, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Number two, to be renewed in the spirit of their minds. And number three, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's what they learned. That's what caused this shift for them as they learned these things. This is vitally important for us to understand. These are not commands. The command here is don't walk as the Gentiles do. Paul is not commanding them. He's not telling them to, to put off their old self, to be renewed in their minds, to put on the new self. This is not an application for him. This is Paul giving the content of what they learned when they learned Christ. Why does that matter? 
It matters because too often we get this wrong. Paul isn't telling them at this point what they need to do. He's telling them what has already been done to them and for them by Jesus. The reason why they must no longer walk as the Gentiles do is because they're not like the Gentiles anymore. Right? Their, their minds aren't futile anymore. Their understanding isn't darkened. They're not alienated from God anymore. They're not ignorant. Their hearts aren't hard anymore. Things have changed because they have embraced the truth of the gospel. That means they're different now. The old self has been put off. Their minds have been renewed. The new self has been put on. They don't need to do these things because these things have been done to them. Let's flip over to Colossians, where we see the same thing. Colossians 3, 1 through 10. And you'll see there, at the beginning here, I I included the the subheading from the ESV, just because I want to talk about it later. But let's read the passage first. Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So again, on that, on that first slide of this verse, or if you've got an ESV, you'll see the subheading. It says, put on the new self, as if that is the main point of this passage. And to that, I say, boo, ESV, right? They, they've missed it. But we're not here to criticize the subheadings. We're here because this passage is so similar to what Paul is saying in Ephesians. So he starts by saying, if you've been raised with Jesus, then set your mind on things in heaven, uh, not on earth. Essentially, he's saying like, because you've been raised with him, like you're, you're different. Your citizenship is in heaven. So, so think about those things. And then because we've been raised with Jesus, verse five, Paul commands us, he commands the Colossians to, to put to death what is earthly in us. So sexual immorality, impurity, sinful passion, evil desire, and covetousness. We need to put these to death because Paul says it's on account of these things that the wrath of God is coming. So similar to Ephesians, Paul acknowledges that they they used to walk in these things. They used to live like that. But now, verse 8, they they need to put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Don't lie to one another. Why shouldn't they do these things? Why shouldn't they live like this? Look at verse 9. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Paul is not, is not, is not telling them to put off the old self and put on the new self. He's saying that has already happened, right? He's drawing their attention to it. He's saying, see this, look at this, notice this. This reality has happened. Now, certainly, 
In Colossians 3, Paul is going to tell them specific ways in which that gospel reality needs to get worked out in their life. But the point is that that subheading should not say, put on the new self. It should say, the new self has been put on, so live like it. That's Paul's point. Back to Ephesians. Again, the point for us to see in both these passages is that Paul is not telling us that that we have to change our clothes so that we can look the part. He's saying if anybody is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Right? The old self has been put off. The new self has been put on. Our minds have been renewed. That is how we learn Christ in Ephesians. And that is what we see and look at in Colossians. This is why we must no longer walk as the Gentiles do because we're not like them anymore. We're different. Things have changed. We are different people. We are a new creation in Christ. And I think that there are, there are three important points that we need to understand when we, when we think about this link between these gospel declarations that Paul has been making so far in this passage and the gospel obligations he's going to give us as we continue in the passage. The first thing is that we need to recognize and embrace and believe that this is true of us. Like our old self is put off, right? The old has passed away. Like it is, it is gone. The new self has been put on. That is the reality for us if we have trusted in Christ. That has happened to us. He has done that to us. That's the state we live in. The problem is not that that hasn't happened. The problem is that we struggle to believe that that's happened and live in light of it. And so I think a way for us to grow in is that like Paul calls us to in Colossians, to to see that is we need to, to look for and celebrate moments in which we see that, right? And so maybe there's a moment in which you know, you, you would have responded with impatience, but instead you respond with kindness. That's because the new self has been put on, the old self has been put off, right? Like celebrate that. Maybe there's a moment where, where you turn to, to prayer and trust instead of stress and worry. That's because the new self has been put on. That's because your mind has been renewed. Celebrate that. Maybe there's a moment where where you sacrifice and serve instead of fighting for your own way. That's because the old self has been put off and the new self has been put on. We need to pay attention to these moments and see them for what they are, the reality that Christ has changed us. We're different than we were before. Turn it into an opportunity to praise God for what he's done for you in Jesus. The second point is that we need to recognize that because of what Jesus has done for us, because the old self has been put off and the new self has been put on, that our pursuit of obedience, our pursuit of holiness is easier than we think it is. Notice I didn't say that it's easy. It's easier than we think it is. So think back to that kid's sermon, right? That, that, that new game plus. You play the game the first time around, you, you gain some skill, you gain some powers, you gain some abilities, you get some better gear. That means that the second time you play the game, you start from a better place. 
It's, it's easier. It's, it's, it's easier for you to win. What Paul is saying, what that means for us is that because of Jesus, our pursuit of holiness, our pursuit of obedience, our growth in, in our faith, our sanctification, it is like new game plus. We walk into the game with skills and powers and abilities that we didn't have the first time around. We're set up to, to conquer our enemies, sin and death and Satan with, with ease. We're able to stop walking like the Gentiles walk because we're not like them anymore. We're able to do the commands that follow, starting in verse 25, because of how we've been made new. Right? We just need to live in light of who we already are in Jesus. So first thing, pay attention to the places in which you are different than you were before. Number two, recognize that your pursuit of obedience is easier than you think it is. And then number three, we need to recognize the reality that there is still growth that needs to take place. And so Hebrews 10.10, I think we've got a slide here. It says this. The author says that because of Jesus' sacrifice, right, by, by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So he's saying that because of Jesus' sacrifice, we have been, have been sanctified once for all. This verse talks about our, our sanctification, our growth in holiness, uh, not as a process, not as a future thing, but as a past thing, right? He's saying we have been sanctified. In places like this in the New Testament, it talks about our sanctification as a, as a past reality, not a present pursuit. In Jesus, like be, because of him, we already are holy. But just a few verses later, Hebrews 10, 14 says this, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That's us. In places like this in the New Testament, it talks about our sanctification, our growth and holiness as a, as a process. It's something that's happening right now. It's a present pursuit. We are being sanctified. We are growing in holiness. And so, so think about that illustration, that, that new game plus mode. We've talked about how the character, the, the in-game character changes throughout the game, right? They get powers, abilities, they get new gear. And then the second time around, we, we start with all of those things. But what we haven't talked about is how the player changes. You see, the first time you play a new game, you don't know how to play it. You got to figure out things work. You got to figure out which strategies work and which strategies don't. As you gain new abilities throughout the game, you have to figure out how to use those abilities for success in the game. As you play the game, it's not just the character that gets better. The player gets better too. That means that the second time around, it's not just the character that's overpowered, the player's overpowered. That's why you're able to easily just mop the floor with your enemies. But for us, with our sanctification, we have skills and powers and abilities that we didn't earn. We haven't developed those skills yet. 
We don't know the best ways to use the skills and abilities that we've been given because of Jesus. We don't know what strategies work and what strategies don't work. We don't know the the best ways to use the gear we've been given. And that's why we don't feel sanctified. That's why it's difficult for us to obey the commands that Paul's going to give us in this passage. Kindness is difficult because even though that skill is enabled in us, we haven't done it a lot. Right? Forgiving other people when they sin against us, that's something that we're, we're able to do, but that's not our natural tendency. Right? All the things that Paul's going to tell us not to do in this passage are things that are easier for us to do than the things he tells us that we should do. It's because we haven't figured it out yet. But the good news for us is that not only has Jesus put off our old self and put on our new self, He's done that, but he's also already played the game, right? He lived life in this broken world with broken people. He's responded to to anger with kindness. He's responded to being sinned against with forgiveness. He's spoken the truth instead of lying. Jesus knows the way, like he's the, the ultimate guide. He knows the best way for us to grow in holiness. He knows the best way for us to run the race and he's promised to always be with us. He doesn't leave us alone in the fight. He tells us that he'll, he'll always show us the way out. He's given us the tools to fight, and then he stays with us to teach us how to use them. And on top of that, whenever we fall short, right, he is there, arms open in grace, calling us back into his presence, calling us back into the life that he has for us. This is why it's important for us to understand that this is the place from which we strive for obedience. It's a place where where success isn't only possible, but but probable. It's it's inevitable. It's a place where where failure doesn't mean death. It means growth. It means life. Like if, if we are in Jesus, then our old self has been put off once and for all. And the new self has been put on. Our our sins are forgiven and our obedience has been purchased and empowered and eventually it's what will always be. So let's look at the commands that follow in this passage with these things in mind. This is the place from which we approach these commands. Paul says, therefore, because of all this gospel truth, having put away falsehood, right? Lying is no longer who we are. Because of that, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So don't lie. Because we belong to each other. We're we're in this together. Why would we not speak truth with each other? Next one. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So Paul says that there's two kinds of anger. There's sinful kind and a not sinful kind and and don't do the sinful kind. That's it. It's easy, right? It's not easy. I think Paul is talking here about about a, a righteous indignation. 
And I would say that, at least from personal experience, it's something that is nearly impossible for us. Certainly is impossible for us on our own. I think for me, uh, in sometimes an easy way to tell the difference is that when I am angry because of something that was done to me, that's usually the wrong kind of anger. But when it's because I care about others and how they're harmed or mistreated or oppressed, it's usually a better kind of anger. I also think that when we think about being angry and not sinning, we, we can't miss everything that comes after this, right? Paul, Paul keeps going. He keeps talking about it. He says, don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. I think he's saying that that would specifically be sinful anger. If you're angry and then you let that happen, because when you're not forgiving, you let that turn into bitterness, right? You're, you're poisoning the life that Jesus has made in you. We need to pursue reconciliation and forgiveness in the midst of anger. Next, Paul says, let the thief no longer steal. Instead, let him do honest work with his own hands so that he may be able to share with anyone in need, right? Now that the Ephesians have been redeemed, they should live a redemptive kind of life. They shouldn't be taking from people. They should be giving to people, right? He needs to earn an honest wage so that he can spread around what God has given him. Verse 29, this one's not fun. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So I want to draw your attention to two words, no and only. This is Paul setting an incredibly high bar for our communication, right? Don't let anything, no thing, nothing at all come out of your mouth that tears down. Period. Instead, use your words to build up. Only use them to build up. Right? Speak in a way that gives grace to the people that hear what you say. And that's it. And what we need to do is Stop what's happening in our brains, which is coming up with all the reasons why this doesn't mean exactly what it says. Clearly, Paul doesn't mean I can't say anything that tears down. It's okay if it's a joke, right? He, he must not mean that I should only speak if it's going to build people up. This is a high bar, but what if, what if, instead of trying to explain this away to make us feel better about us, what if we just tried to do what Paul said? Like, how, how would that change the way that, like, we, we speak to each other? I think... I think it might be worth a try, especially in light of what comes next. Verse 30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Like our sin, our actions, our thoughts, our emotions, they affect God. 
Like the Holy Spirit within us is, is grieved because of our sin. Like when we let corrupting talk out of our mouth, like it grieves the Holy Spirit within us. I think the reason why that's true is because he empowers us for what's better. Right? If you think about like the things that your kids do that like, like make you the saddest. It's when like you know what's best for them and they pick something far worse. I think realizing, realizing that we grieve the Holy Spirit, I think that, that it could cause us just to kind of like wallow in guilt. But I, I don't think that's what Paul wants. I think what we need to realize is that the flip side of this is also true. Right? If we can grieve the Holy Spirit through our actions, we can also delight the Holy Spirit through our actions. Like when we let corrupting talk out of our mouth, it grieves the Holy Spirit. But when we speak in a way that, that builds up, that gives grace, the Holy Spirit is like, I did that! Right? Like it's because of me that you're able to do that. Like the Holy Spirit delights in us when we walk in obedience. Because he's the one that's enabling that within us. Verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and clamor, or anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. If in your brain you found any loopholes in verse 29, I think this one closes them all. Because this deals with like the inside part of the outside speech. Right? It's not enough just to stop the words from coming out although that's probably better than letting them come out. God's after our hearts. He doesn't just want us not to say angry things. He doesn't want us to have angry hearts. He doesn't just want us not to say lies. He doesn't want us to think thoughts that are false. I don't think... Us having hearts that burn with anger or that are cold with bitterness or, or minds that are filled with lies about other people, it grieves the Holy Spirit. Instead, verse 32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Like, this is the standard for our behavior. Forgiving as Christ has forgiven us. Being kind and tender towards one another. Speaking in a way that builds up and gives grace. Right? Our hearts are no longer hard because of Jesus. We've been forgiven so we can forgive. Our minds have been renewed so that we can think things that are kind and gracious towards other people. The old self has been put off and the new self has been put on. Our minds have been renewed. That's happened to us. Jesus has done that to us. And now we get to pick up that controller and start playing the game with everything that he's done for us. So let's, because he's put on the new self, let's put away falsehood. Let's say no to anger and wrath and bitterness and slander. Let's not let words that do harm exit our mouths. 
Instead, let's build up, let's encourage, let's give grace, let's be kind to one another and tender, let's, let's forgive as we've been forgiven. Let's put off behavior and thoughts and emotions and feelings that grieve the Holy Spirit and instead live in a way that delights him. We have been given such a gift in Jesus. He not only died and rose again for our justification, praise God, he did that, but he also died and rose again for our sanctification. It's by his sacrifice that we have been sanctified and that we are being sanctified. And so let's live like it. Let's live like people that have the new self put on shouldn't walk like the Gentiles anymore because we don't have to, because we're not like them. Instead, let's be who he's made us to be. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that we can spend our lives plumbing the depths of what you've done for us and we'll never reach the bottom. And so I pray that you would send your spirit to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. To stir our affections for who you are and what you've done for us. To to enlarge our brains so that we would be able to understand more and more and more of the implications of what you've done for us. And that you would, would cause within us a passionate pursuit of holiness. Because we know that you've put the new self on. That you would help us to to walk in and and live in and and think in and, and speak in the reality of what you've done for us. That we wouldn't just be new creations in theory. But that we would be new creations in practice. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice on our behalf. It's in your name we pray. Amen.